Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. Check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working. Bunda Patel, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. So you are currently Director of Innovation at the Sutton Trust. And the Sutton Trust, it says, champions social mobility through different programs, through research and influencing policy, news and opinion. And you're a shiny new minted trustee at Arts Emergency. Which of these is the most important one? Oh, I can't <laughs> ask you that. You can't answer that one. It's oh. a terrible question. <laughs> Which, I mean, how are they linked? Yeah, really great question. So Sutton Trust is a charity that obviously I'm employed at, but one that I've followed for many, many years. Like it's been going for over 25 years. Um, it's always been in the background to a lot of the work that I've done in my career. Um, even before I joined them, I was kind of on the peripheral supporting on various projects and reading their reports and their research. And it's really influenced the the landscape in which we work in, particularly around kind of social mobility and getting more people aware of what that means and kind of how how they can make a big difference in in the workplace, but also in their communities and trying to champion young people. So it's definitely a you know really big passion of mine. But with Arts Emergency, I actually um, came across them through a colleague that you know started to work there and and really at the beginning of that journey that she had with them and I was fascinated it's such a brilliant cause to be able to support and mentor young people who are interested in arts and the creative sector which is typically you know quite hard to to kind of get into and it's definitely a kind of close-knit kind of uh, environment you have to know people you have to have the cultural capital the kind of financial backing to sometimes work in some of those jobs um, so it's brilliant to be able to take some of the experiences that I get through working at the charity and taking that into a smaller organization and really making a bit of a big difference at a trustee level so both are equally important in my eyes and and yeah a real passion of mine. How did you get into the whole social mobility championing of the young person? So I, I started, um, I, I, I studied at university and, and I've always done lots of work with young people. I was a, a youth leader growing up. And so I've always had this, you know, huge affinity to, to, to young people and supporting them in their development and really coaching them and helping them to gain access to sometimes those opportunities that often would, would not always be available to them. And so when I got to university, I was really lucky. I, I met um, uh, Mark, who was running this organization at the time that was really focused on supporting young people with accessing those really, um, you know, great opportunities that often wouldn't be available to young people who come from those types of backgrounds. And that's really where that journey started in terms of that. I didn't know it was social mobility back then. It wasn't necessarily a term that was used. It, it was really about kind of how can I make a big difference to young people and really influence the, the decisions that they make and empower them to, to make those decisions. 
and that are right for them. So, yeah, it's always been something that's kind of been a bit more innate with me around wanting to help people. And it's just lovely that I can do that through my job and my career, but also through some of the extracurricular things that I do in terms of, you know, supporting as a trustee. Um, I worked, did a lot of work with the Diana Award when I was younger and they provided me with fantastic opportunities to really grow and develop my skill set and, and really gave me that confidence um, as a young trustee, but also in terms of public speaking and being a big advocate for young people who often, you know, you know, young people are often not given that platform to be able to kind of share their voices and share their feelings. And so I've had lots of chances to be able to do that for them. So, yeah, that's you know, a little bit about how I came to kind of the work that I do. So a lot of the people listening to this are going to be um, leaders, managers in organizations with you know, regular staff, all that sort of stuff. Um, social mobility, I don't think, is a concern of mm-hmm. the, the majority, really. Because I suppose if you're listening to this, you probably are socially mobile. You've got a job, right? Because I promote this in LinkedIn. People in LinkedIn all have jobs. Well, mm-hmm. most of them do, and they're all, otherwise they're looking for one. And then hopefully you'll find one really, really soon, and I'll talk about that in another podcast. Um, the people that you are helping, that you are targeting... And I think we've had a few years of horror for many of them. All of a sudden, these people were not just, you're not just trying to help people who, to become socially mobile, you're just help, trying to help them survive. Everything was ripped away from the young people around us. I mean, my kids are Thankfully, right now they're 9-11, so three years ago when all this nonsense started, they were a lot smaller and less impacted by it, so we could look after them at home. Of course, I'm talking about the whole, the, the whole COVID, or rather the response we had to COVID. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that we did was close down absolutely everything that all the young people around us relied upon all the youth groups, all the universities, outreach, all the schools, all the play, we closed play parks for goodness sake and stopped them talking to each other, stopped them being able to develop. We stopped, we stopped, we stopped. And it's, I think we're only just discovering how difficult it is and has been and continues to be to restart them. And we're going to be picking up the bits from these kids, these young people for decades. I'm convinced that. The Southern Trust did some amazing stuff when it all went to hell. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I definitely echo everything you've just said. It it was a really difficult time for everybody, but young people and particularly those from low socioeconomic backgrounds. So those that don't Shafted. have yeah sorry um, I'll yeah, use the no. <laughs> um you know they were disproportionately impacted by covid and all of the the kind of aftermath of covid as well um the research that we produced during the pandemic from kind of focusing on the early years through to kind of school age children to those that are sitting GCSEs and A-levels to those that are going to university and then those that are entering the job market. Every bit of that research that we did on each of those different areas highlighted the impact that COVID was having and will continue to have on those young people and the disproportionate 
you know, impact, particularly on those that come from low income families. And we, you know, we, we're feeling that aftermath even today. And we will, as you mentioned, we'll feel that for decades to come because, you know, while the world goes back to kind of in person and people being able to do, you know, whatever they want with no restrictions and travel and eat out, et cetera, the impact on education for these young people and the impact on their access to opportunities is something that they are going to live with for forever. You know, the, the, the lack of access to, you know, the education that they missed out on, the, the lack of access to opportunities in terms of extracurricular, all of those make you who you are. You know, all mm. of those exposures, that education, those opportunities to kick a ball around or take part in, you know, your school play or, you know, whatever it may be, they all make us who we are. They shape who we are. They shape our character. They give us those really essential skills. And so many of these young people have not had access to those opportunities. And we're feeling that now because we're seeing that in terms of academic outcomes for these young people. We're seeing that from the early years and the kind of uh, the delay in terms of reading and engagement and the readiness for schools that teachers are reporting to us. We're seeing that from the employer perspective. So those young people who were taking A-levels and going through university and coming out the other side and now are entering the job market lots of the employers we work with are saying that they see they've seen a huge shift in the support that those young people need there's much more of a pastoral need to support them in terms of you know helping them transition helping them you know because they may not have had those job opportunities growing up and um you know in those really formative years when you 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 know you learn how to you know, get that job after school or that that job on the weekend or take part in those opportunities in the summer, for example. So lots of those opportunities and that access to, to those skills development and really have disappeared. And and we're seeing the impact of that now. And it's it's that impact that will be felt for these young people for, for decades to come. Um, so it's All quite bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All through their yeah. life. I got some friends um, from primary school, actually. Mm. And they told me, uh, there's three of them went to the same class, different class than the one I was in. And they all said that they all struggled telling the time with a, with a conventional analog clock. And they said, and I believe them because I, I know who they were talking about, it was because of one particular primary school teacher. And she just never bothered. Everybody else could, but in that class, they didn't. So for six months, while this crazy woman was on her last legs and getting kicked out of the school or whatever was happening, she never bothered to teach them how to tell the time. And of course, yes, of course, the parents should have done it, but that's not the point. My point is that that impact has lasted. And now I'm 40, whatever it is, 12 and a half years old. (laughs) And so are my friends. And they struggled to tell the time because of something that happened to them 40 odd years ago. Now, when I talk to some of my neighbours and the kids around here, teenagers, uh, from the, they're now in their 20s, something off the college, like you said, some of them are 19, some of them are 16, my kids, and you have a combination of responses. And some of them are still afraid. Some of them, well, there's one girl I know still wears a mask, mm-hmm. right? There's fear. The fear, they still fear. Like they still feel. You have anger. That this was ripped away from them. We chained 
Play parks closed. We change. We collectively. It's not COVID, by the way. I'm going to pick you up on that, Binda. Mm-hmm. It's our response to COVID. It was a public response to COVID. But what we as a nation chose to do to the the the, the a, vote, a group that doesn't vote, a group that has no voice, we chose to do it to these children collectively and pointed at them and were afraid of them. And these little sods had no chance of getting it, or if they did get it, it had no damn impact on them. And you can hear in the tone of my voice, I'm distinctly unimpressed, by the way. If you are, if you were involved, if you were the one, one of the ones advocating for closing schools or all this rubbish, come and see me after class. <laughs> but we are where we are. And you talked about the pastoral needs. And the challenge that we have to deal with because of the Muppets who dealt with this in the way that they dealt with it. How do we effectively help an enormous section of the population who is now transitioning into work? Because that's what we deal with, right? I help with management, with leadership. That's what I can do. That's why I'm doing this. I do this because I looked at my, my daughter who said, oh, can I get a job, Daddy? And I was thinking, mm, you're 11, you've got to wait till you're 13. But by, <laughs> absolutely, I'm going to kick you out, you get a paper round or something. Um, and I, saw, I sat and I thought, God help her if she ends up with some numpty manager like me when I come out the door. And if I can help with the new managers or the fresh managers and help them to do their jobs better, then I can, I can I'll change the world in my own wee way. <laughs> How do we offer, as you said, that pastoral support? What is that? Do they need? Do they need a hug? What, what are we looking at? What can you advise people in companies to do? Uh, it's it's definitely a, a balance. Um, recognizing that young people who may be coming into your workplace will not typically be the same types of young people that you may have onboarded, you know, five years ago, for example. So it's really looking at Sorry, in, in what way? In what way will they be different? Yeah, yeah. It will be the maybe their readiness for work. It may be their anxiety levels or kind of mental loads. It looking at them as individuals and understanding where they've come from and what their needs are, and that kind of blueprint model that lots of businesses will will tend to have around how they induct and onboard young people will need to be much more nuanced because there will be these differences because there will be some young people who have been quite significantly impacted by by the kind of aftermath of COVID and all the things that have happened over the last few years and there may be some people who aren't as impacted and therefore you have to be you know, as an organisation, but also as a manager, quite responsive to, to those needs of those individuals. So some of the things that businesses can do is is look at that onboarding process and really get a sense from these individuals that are joining them. You know, what what are your needs? You know, where, if you've worked somewhere before, or if you were at university, you know, what support did you receive that you found really helpful that we could mirror for example or emulate for you I think it's that you know the the kind of I come from a small organization so we have the ability to be much more agile in the way that we create these um you know policies and processes so it's it's easier said than done I think and I know that there'll be people listening to this who come from large corporate 
business environments where some of these things may not be easy, but it's about how you advocate for these things to happen within those bigger organizations and making people aware. And we've got huge reports and research that shows a lot of that impact on those individuals. But drilling down to some of those that that agility in the way that you manage and onboard these young people, really thinking about what their needs are, understanding that pastoral support it it look it couldn't it can look quite different for different individuals. So for someone, maybe setting them up with a buddy, for example, could be really helpful. Someone who's a year or two years ahead of them that really, you know, and, and when I mean matching them up, I mean really looking at those characteristics, their background, and finding someone who they can look up to and, and be that role model for them. It's also thinking about um, you know, when you're onboarding that individual in your organization, you know, how are you doing that? Are you creating an environment where they feel that they can come and, and ask questions and learn and get feedback? And, you know, so I think it's it's a big piece there. It's that pastoral need being more than just kind of that hug. <laughs> it's about really checking in on them, offering them that well-being support, um, giving them, you know, pointing them in the right directions, for example, if they're not sure about well, I'm struggling with this particular aspect. I've never worked anywhere before. How do I get access to some of these things? And so I think it's just that bit more mindfulness around these individuals and the fact that some of them may have gone through quite tough situations and really coming to that with an open mind about how you can actually help them to to kind of do well in your organisation. Do you know, in a way, what you're talking about there, I would hope, would be present in a really good onboarding program anyway. Almost in the way, you know, you go to a hotel and they have all the disabled handlebars inside the shower, all that sort of stuff, because it's there, because that's what they do. And you end up using it because it's actually quite convenient. Mm-hmm. Or you go up the ramp if you're a bit tired for the wheelchair ramp, you walk up the wheelchair ramp because it's there, it's convenient. These things go into good design, you know? So good design incorporates the things. It's like It's like the... Um, uh, people did want to divide the world up by, you know, Gen X, Gen Y and all this. And what mm-hmm. you end up with is just good design or people who just like to be connected or people who like the analog. Or this, it's thinking about things in a better way. And this, the idea of having a nuanced approach to an onboarding program that is essentially cookie cutter in most cases, especially if you're in a large organization. Mm-hmm. Here's, your onboarding, boarding, here's your onboarding program. Slap. That's you. Um. But actually, I mean, things like the buddy is great. Things like pre-boarding, before you start, have somebody yep. reach out to them. You know? yep. Things like you said, the background, making sure that you don't have some random middle-aged Scots bloke talking to mm-hmm. a 19-year-old Tunisian girl. <laughs> you know, je parle français alors, but you know, it's not exactly that useful. You want somebody who's got at least a, uh, an age or uh, some background connection. The connection's important. That, that sort of thing, I think, is important. The, the, but I do want to, to think about more the pastoral aspect, and especially in this, this environment where we are still suffering from the aftermath of the response to COVID. Or rather, in one hand, and I do get angry about this, really, but I get very, I'm, 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 a, I'm a, an optimist, a terrible mm-hmm. optimist, you know, um, critical optimist, but an optimist nonetheless. And one of the stuff, well, some of the stuff that came out of our response, our reaction to this, is things like working remotely. All of a sudden, overnight, it was normal. 
and it wasn't just acceptable for a couple of days a week or something. It was like, right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, holy moly, we've got to get on with this and make it work. How can you offer pastoral care to someone you've never actually met? Yeah, it's a very, very good question and definitely a big challenge. Um, at the Trust, we onboarded, I would say, nearly five people remotely who we'd never met. And all their interviews took place online. Um, all of their onboarding took place online. And it's definitely a mind shift for a lot of organizations around how you how you do that. Um, and it was definitely one of those, you know, it was a transition for us as well. And we definitely did something extremely well and other things where we learned along the way. And I think it's it's ex exactly that again around understanding what the needs are of that individual, because, you know, onboarding somebody in person is very different to onboarding someone online. You know, it, it, there's that no personal connection. There's none of those cues that you might get from someone when they're in the room with you. And so it's making sure that, you know, that onboarding process, the design aspect that you mentioned, Paul, is such an integral part of, of that process to making sure that, you know, that, that whatever you're pulling together in that in that onboarding process, it's really designed around that individual and understanding what their needs are. So the pre-onboarding is so, so useful to get that touch point in with them to understand, you know, have a set of questions, for example, that you might ask a new joiner around what their needs are, what things that have worked for them in the past, what additional support would they like from you, and what parts of their job are they excited about, or what parts do they feel a little uncomfortable maybe with anxious. about mm. and anxious about, exactly, and getting a sense from them as an individual what they want, mm. and building those, you know, those those road steps into the onboarding process and you know their probation period as well it's such an important part that 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 support doesn't just stop once they're in and they've done their induction for three days and and off you go you know that support has to continue um and when it's online and and when it's you know virtual it, there are certain elements that do become slightly trickier but it's always about those regular touch points I think because you know we lived in COVID for three years and everything went online and we still managed to produce incredible outcomes you know and managed to do lots of really positive things so it can happen it's just all about that mindset and that design and when it comes to remote like some of the things that we found that have really worked is really giving those opportunities for those individuals to connect with other people from different parts of your business it may not feel like they need to do that because it's not essential to their job, but it's such a valuable thing to help them build those networks. So I would often book in half an hour coffee, you know, virtual coffees with, um, you know, between a, a new join, a new member joining the team and someone else who, who doesn't work directly in our area of work, but someone in fundraising, for example, or someone who works in the development team or someone who works in our research and policy team. And, and those half an hour touch points littered throughout their you know first few weeks can be such a valuable thing for them to be able to a learn about different areas of your organization but trying to mirror some of those things that would happen in an office environment over mm. lunch or in you know over the, in the kitchen and while you're making coffee and it's thinking about how you replicate some of that in an online environment we also did a lot of things where we grouped a lot of the new starters together and we gave them the opportunity to meet up online and and 
you know, we, we gave them the chance to organize events. And so we did, you know, virtual murder mystery <laughs> um, activity for, for all of the staff. We had a Sutton Trust cookbook that was initiated by Fabulous. some of the, the, the newbies that joined us. And so it's thinking about, you know, how we can, yeah, make them feel at home, you know, and really mm. give them that, that, you know, the, that culture and that environment that we would typically have in person, but trying to emulate as much of that online as we possibly can. And then when you do move back to kind of in-person or hybrid in the way that we work in our organization, it's really investing in those opportunities for those connections to happen in person and making sure that the right steps are there for them to be able to do that and transition from being only virtual and only online to then being in the office a little bit as well. So, you know, we often we have a fun committee at the trust and there are actually a lot of our interns who um, join us every year that they're, they're in charge of kind of organizing social events and and they love it. And it's brilliant because it really gives them a chance to work together, but also in a really fun social environment and creating something for the organization that everyone can get involved in. They, you know, will ask everyone for their ideas and thoughts and really giving them some purpose to kind of those social interactions and them leading on those, which I think is it's just a nice way to kind of really make them feel part of our organization and the culture that we're trying to create for them. So I like that. So you're trying to connecting with other people in different parts of the business, mirroring the in-person moments that matter online where you need to, uh, and just doing your best to consistently bring people together. Mm. Fun committee, committee of fun, director of fun. Are you having <laughs> fun yet? <laughs> I'll give you money until you start having fun. Otherwise, the beatings will continue. No, I love that. I really love that idea, getting the interns in to do something like that as well. That is good. Okay. Hmm. What? So let's, let's take this as a – we think we've got the how-to here, which is how do we help the young people that we see coming through and into our organizations find their feet, find their position, in the, in the organization when they are or may well have been troubled, damaged, missed out, neglected. I'm trying not to get annoyed again. But how, what do we need to do with them that really we should be doing with everyone? Agree. Because the opportunity here, the optimist in me says that this is a learning opportunity and we can learn from this to do better, not just by these people, but by everyone make and remodel the onboarding, remodel the support that we make available to people coming through into our organizations so that they can feel part of something bigger than themselves, that they can have the opportunity to master their new tasks, find purpose in work. Hmm. Good. Well done. Well done, you. What are you working on at the moment? So as Director of Innovation at the Sutton Trust, it sounds like a very glam job title. Okay. Um, <laughs> so um, we we are a think tank slash do tank. And I love that we can take lots of our research and kind of all of the evidence around some of those challenges that young people face when it comes to their education or accessing jobs and progressing. Um, 
And so I take a lot of that and I look at where the gaps are in the work that we do and try and pinpoint kind of where we could add most value by doing something a little bit different to what we may have done in the past. So not just programming, but actually let's think about how we can tackle this issue here in a in a unique way. You know, let's see if we can rock the boat here a little bit or you know, shift the dial a little, a little bit on some some of those issues. Um, so two big projects that I'm leading on, I led on the creation of Sutton Trust Online, which is our digital platform, um, which was essential during the pandemic and mm. a real success of kind of, yeah, that partnership model where we were working with lots of organisations and really cultivating all of the great work that was going on and creating a platform for young people where they could come and get really great advice and connect with their peers and get support from our universities and the employers and everyone that we work with. So that that was a really big project that I led on. Um, just before the pandemic became essential during the pandemic and then has now become so embedded in our organization that it's it's uh, hard to see what life was like before the platform was there. So it's brilliant to see that. And that's exactly what innovation is about, you know, testing a few things, piloting it, trialing it, seeing how it works and where it does work, thinking about how you scale and expand and embed. Um so, yeah, another one of the projects that I'm working on is really looking at the apprenticeship space and how we can really shift the dial with some of the challenges that young people face with accessing some of those apprenticeships, particularly young people who come from low income families are not always accessing the kind of higher higher level level five and six um uh, apprenticeships that are available to them so kind of looking at some of the challenges there and where we can add I guess the greatest impact make the greatest impact and have the, the most value add there so that's a big project that I'm kind of working on at the moment um, and then also looking at the pipeline and thinking about what where else does our work take us you know at the trust we we have innovated from the very beginning you know from not just our research but also from our programming and the seed funding lots of organizations that have gone on to do incredible things now so we're thinking about that pipeline and how you know are there some brilliant things that are going on in our sector that with a little bit of support from us but maybe financially or through kind of that critical friend maybe that support around evaluation and scale up could we then find the next big thing that we could then support and and work on so that's the kind of work that I'm doing and it's really exciting and I'm really glad that you know, as an organization, we've made a huge commitment to supporting this new pillar of work, um, work that's always happened, but just really committing to that in our strategy and thinking about how we can make a big difference in a in, in a bit more of a unique way than we, we typically would have done through our research policy programming work. So that's, yeah, that's in a nutshell, <laughs> some of the things that I'm working on. That seems not to, that'll keep you busy for a while. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. Oh. Are you reading or listening to something that you'd like to share? I love a good podcast, Paul, if I'm honest. I'm so glad. I'm, so, I'm sure you're really pleased to hear. Um, I'm a, like I'm, and I'm, share I'm, this one and rate it as highly as you possibly can. It helps people to find us. I, I, I'm glad you took that little little nudge in on, on, to, on promoting that. Um, but I'm a mum of two and reading, I don't always have the time, of reading the things that I want to read. I'm often reading books to my children. Um, but what I do have time for is definitely listening to podcasts, either on my way to work, on my way home. Um, and I absolutely love listening to um, Rob Beckett and John Widkins, um 
uh, podcast on parenting and it is an absolute joy and I just absolutely love it like it is fantastic it was the thing that got me through lockdown and got me through maternity leave and you know the transition into work and it's just great to hear the experiences of other parents and in a really funny and yeah charming way that they do so that's one that I love excellent thank you very much for sharing thank you uh was there something that you would like to thank young Binder for having done (laughs) yeah young Binder how young do I go um (laughs) so I I guess um I was reflecting on this and thinking a bit more about about it and I guess it for me it I had that that confidence, that quiet confidence when I was growing up. And I was really encouraged by my family, but also the people around me to kind of always take those opportunities that came at me. I was really lucky. I went to a fantastic state school um, and I had teachers who were just so encouraging and just would always be like, just do it. It's really good. It, you know, it will help you. And even if it doesn't, end up being what you want it to be you tried it and and I think what I'm really thankful to my younger self for is is listening to that advice but also then taking it on board and actually saying yes because so many brilliant things have happened to me in my life because I've just said yes and kind of given it a go and just being quite open to where things take me um so I'm just really glad that I had that kind of yeah that direction from from my teachers and the people around me like my parents my brother everybody um to 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 say yes and and have that confidence to just be like even if it doesn't work even if it's not quite right but just give it a go um so so yeah so that would be my yeah my my little bit of advice back to myself (laughs) and then lastly as we wrap up how can people find you me on LinkedIn. I'm under Binder Budia Patel, which is my maiden name. But if they type Binder in, there's not many of us around, so I'm sure they'll find me. Um, definitely visit the Sutton Trust website if you're interested in learning a bit more about what we do as an organisation. We've got, you know, oodles of really great research. If you're a leader in your business and you're thinking about how you can make social mobility, you know, a really key agenda or want a bit of advice, just reach out via the website and you can get in touch with me or anyone else at the organization. Um, and we'd be more than happy to have a conversation with you about that. So marvelous. All those details will be in the notes in this podcast. So click downstairs, right. subscribe, rate, connect with Brenda, Brenda Patel. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you for having me, Paul. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework is to leave your five-star review and please, any comments you have, you really help me to improve every day. And it also helps people to discover me online. You should check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working.